This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader the station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey everyone, welcome to Fox Across America. I'm Sean Duffy in for Jimmy Fallon today. Honored to sit in his chair and uh, take the helm for three hours. Big news day today. Uh, we're going to talk about the affidavit, which is supposed to be released right now. I can't get access to it, but I'll talk about it later because the site is crashing. So many people want access to the redacted affidavit, which we'll talk about. But I first got to tell you, uh, normally I'd come to you uh, from Jimmy's studio in New York City, but I'm not. We talk about Fox Across America. I'm coming from Hayward, Wisconsin, on the shores of Round Lake, beautiful uh, God's country, where the weather's been awesome, the water is clean, and... Uh, some of you might disagree with me that Wisconsin is God's country, greatest state in the nation. But uh, in the Duffy family, we love Wisconsin. So we're going to get to a lot of to- uh, topics today. We're going to talk about the student loan forgiveness um, giveaway that Joe Biden uh, announced yesterday. We're going to talk about the border crisis, um, what's happening at the southern border, uh, the catastrophe that Joe Biden has created. But um, as we wait to get the release of the uh, the affidavit on the Trump raid, I think it's important to talk about the FBI and what has the FBI done in regard to politics. And and this is a history that we all know, we've all talked about, but you go back to the Russia collusion hoax where uh, you had a fake dossier created by Hillary Clinton. It's a campaign document that uh, they orchestrated through her team in the, in the DNC to feed the document into the FBI. So the FBI would start an investigation on Donald Trump. And through that investigation, they went to the FISA court. Um, As you'll recall, uh, Mr. Kleinsmith lied to the FISA court. He changed an email to change the meaning of an email to get the FISA court to surveil Trump um, associates and eventually surveil Trump himself. Um, historic surveillance of a presidential candidate, and the surveillance then happened after um, President Trump was elected. And uh, we had leaks coming from the FBI and the DOJ for over three years, over the course of Donald Trump's presidency. And those leaks drove the story in the media that this, uh, this investigation, this collusion was real between Donald Trump and the Russians. And I mean, there was points where I was like, oh my goodness, you couldn't have this many, these many leaks um, if there wasn't some truth to you know, what's coming out of the FBI and the DOJ. In the end, we all saw that it was a complete lie. It was a complete fabrication um, of the truth. Um, and so you know, it calls into question the credibility of the, F, uh, of the FBI. We also look to um, the Mueller probe. I don't know if you recall this, but the Mueller probe then says, "Okay, we need an independent investigation. We're going to appoint Bob Mueller to look at Donald Trump's collusion with Russia. Um, Mueller does that and finds there's no collusion. 
between Donald Trump and Russia. But I think what's fascinating is the DOJ and the FBI, those who worked on the Mueller probe looking into Trump, um, they're using phones by the FBI and the DOJ. And those phones are the property of the government and the records created on those phones are the property of the U.S. government. I don't know if you recall the story, but two dozen members of the Mueller team, when they gave their phone back, remarkably had their phones wiped. There was no data. There was no information on the phone. So they either said, oh, I forgot my passcode and I put the passcode in too many times and then it wiped my phone or there was too much screen damage to the phone so the FBI couldn't recover the information. Some said they lost their device and others um, just had an intentional deletion. But all of them did that. So we couldn't see the conversation that the Mueller team had in regard to Donald Trump. And they probably did that, I would say, not because they're about transparency. They didn't want us to see the conversations they were having and the political nature of those conversations on how they were out to get Donald Trump, not get to the truth. Uh, One of those was Lisa Page, who you remember Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. Lisa Page restored her phone to her um, to her uh, uh, original phone settings to, to wipe it of any data. So that was in the past. That was in. Um, uh, in the in the Trump era, but I think it's also important to look at Scott Perry, congressman from Pennsylvania, um, was approached by the FBI and had his phone seized um, and copied and then given back to him. Uh, he's the head of the Freedom Caucus. On that phone is no doubt legislative material, um, conversations he's having about legislation with other members of Congress that the executive branch, which is what the DOJ and the FBI work for, they have no they should have no access to that. They're not entitled to go take a member of Congress's phone and get access to a co-equal separate branch of government, but they did. Um, And obviously, uh, Scott Perry is no fan or friend of Joe Biden's administration or his DOJ or his FBI. But remember down in Texas, there's a congressman, Henry Cuellar. He's a Democrat, and Henry Cuellar understands the community in Texas, which is a Democrat community, um, he served for uh, a number of, of terms, and um, he was pushing back on the administration um, on their border policy because he understood Joe Biden's border policy was bad politics for him in Texas. Um, and because he was pushing back against the administration, again, a Democrat administration by Henry Cuellar, who's a Democrat in Congress, uh, the Biden team didn't like that. They don't like dissent. And so what happened? You recall the FBI raided Henry Cuellar's home. And there's a current investigation going on in regard to Henry Cuellar. Um, It seems like there's investigations that happen in regard to Republicans or Democrats that aren't on the Democrat bandwagon on every issue. Um, We're going to talk later about Hunter Biden and the kind of justice that we've seen with regard to Hunter Biden's laptop. Um, and the kind of crimes he committed that are on that laptop that the FBI and the DOJ are slow walking. And it also brings us to the conversation uh, we're now having about the FBI raid on Donald Trump's home um, in Mar-a-Lago and the wide sweeping breadth of the search warrant, that they're able to search every nook and cranny of uh, a former president's home.
Um, there wasn't one part of his living quarters that was uh, off limits. They could search any part of his home that is as small as grab one sheet of paper and fold it up as small as you can. Anywhere that that one sheet of paper could fit, the FBI was able to search in his home. Again, going into Melania's closet um, and looking for what they say are classified documents, but um, also any other fruits of a crime, which we're going to, again, talk about this. But uh, I would argue that this is about getting documents um, and evidence in regard to the January 6th investigation um, and also potentially getting documents back that Donald Trump had that goes to his civil suit going back to the Russia collusion um, hoax that was played on him. And he's suing Hillary Clinton, the DNC, members of the FBI and the DOJ, like Peter Strzok uh, and Comey, are all being sued by Trump. They want to get those documents back, which I think um, would show evidence of the hoax that was played, the lie that was played, and the slander that was bestowed on on President Trump. So uh, a lot happening today uh, in the news as we're going to look to um, to, to uh, talk about the released affidavit. But before we do that, I'm going to bring in, um, I have to tell you, one of the best, she is the best looking member at Fox. She's also my wife. Um, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Rachel Campos Duffy. We're going to continue the conversation on what the FBI has done politically. We're going to talk about Mark Zuckerberg's conversation with Joe Rogan and what he said about the FBI. That's coming back uh, when we that's, that's coming when we come back next uh, at Fox Across America. Stay with us. The show that always has a giant smile on its face. All day long, I just want to make everybody happy. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. All right, this one's for the fellas who want to tap the brakes on the aging process. How do you do that, Jimbo? We're talking about Nugenics Total T. Okay, every day that passes by is a day that you lose testosterone, which means less muscle, less energy, less get up and go in the bedroom. That doesn't sound any fun. But are you really ready to lose your shape, your muscle, maybe even in your energy? You don't have to. Okay, you can slow it down with Nugenics Total T. Nugenics Total T, it'll boost free and total testosterone, and it'll help you get the old fire back at work, in the gym, in the bedroom. How about it? Nugenics Total T Testosterone Booster has Testofen, which will boost your testosterone. You know, the man hormone. How about more of that? You can try Nugenics Total T before you buy. There's nothing to lose, everything to gain. Now get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total T when you text 231-231 and enter the the keyword Jimmy. Text now. You'll get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo X, the newest and most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you lose fat fast and get lean fast. It is absolutely free. Your complimentary sample available to you if you text 231-231 and enter keyword Jimmy. It's 231-231 and you enter the keyword Jimmy. Texting enrolls you in a recurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. Welcome back to Fox Across America. I'm Sean Duffy and for Jimmy Fela. Uh, as I mentioned before this break, uh, I want to bring in, again, the best looking member of the Fox News team uh, and probably the smartest as well. Uh, she is uh, the co-host of Fox and Friends Weekend and my adorable, lovely wife, Rachel Campos Duffy. Hi, Rachel. How are you doing? Hi, Sean. So great to be on with you. Um I don't even want to stay with that introduction. It's so full of lies. I'm not the best. Listen, but I listen, love I, that you think I am. 
Listen, when I talk about looks and intelligence, I do not lie. I speak from the heart, and that is true. And I would just tell uh, our listeners that Rachel's in New Jersey. God bless her. And I'm in Wisconsin um, with all the kids, uh, or some of the kids, most of the kids here, (laughs) which uh, there's a little inequity in that, (laughs) right? Yeah. And, well, uh, I've got Valentina going back. and our, I've got Valentina and the 16 year olds and you've got everyone else. I've got everyone else. But Rich, I want to talk to you about, um, before we came uh, into the last break, I was talking about the FBI and we talked about the the Russia collusion hoax, which we all know uh, what happened where the FBI and the DOJ lied about Donald Trump. They took the dossier on face value, a whole bunch of warning signs that it wasn't accurate. Um, we talked about the, the Mueller probe and how they deleted their phones um, so the inspector general couldn't see the conversations mm-hmm. that the Mueller probe was having in regard to Donald Trump. They've FBI has gone for Scott Perry's phone. Um, they, they raided Henry Cuellar, who wasn't on board with open borders. They raided his home, the FBI did. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, want, I, I want to talk to you about what the FBI has done with Facebook and with uh, regard to uh, the Hunter Biden laptop, I want to play uh, uh, clip 29 and get you to react. Basically, the background yeah. here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, uh, some, some folks on our team. and was like, hey, um, just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was the, we, we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of, of um uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being um, being determined whether it was false. Um, the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it. You could still consume it. Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story? I, I, no, I, I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it was it basically fit the pattern. So, Rachel, you have Mark Zuckerberg admitting that the FBI reached out to him and said right before the Russia, uh, the, the Hunter Biden laptop drops, that there's Russia propaganda that's going to come out and you should be on the lookout for it. And then you get the Hunter Biden laptop. And, of course, Facebook's like, oh, this must be it, what the FBI warned us about. Right. And they, exactly. they, they, they they diminish its meat, uh, its reach of the story. What do you say? What's your reaction? So, first of all, you have to remember there were several very prominent senators, Senator Grassley, Senator Johnson, who were looking at this this laptop story and saying, whoa, this is serious stuff. Um, And then you had all these intelligence agents saying, uh, you know, former intelligence agents who have no credibility right now, um, signing this letter saying this is Russian disinformation and basically accusing the senators of, you know, being purveyors or uh, of, of Russian disinformation and Putin puppets. And then you have the FBI giving a heads up, hey, some weird stuff is going to come out from the New York Post, um, and you should probably censor that because that's Russian disinformation. Meanwhile, the FBI had that laptop. They knew it wasn't Russian disinformation. They eventually had to admit that it was real, but they knew at that time that it was real. There was nothing um, that has come out that looked anything shady. In fact, these were Hunter's own emails. These were pictures of Hunter that... You know, you, the undeniably, you know, horrible pictures of Hunter in very sexually compromising situations. But more importantly, there were these emails um, that said 
10% for the big guy. And I always say this, Sean, you know, it's really easy to get distracted with the Hunter Biden story that, you know, there's a lot of hookers and crack and drugs and there's all kinds of stuff that, you know, salacious stuff for us to get distracted on. Um, it's bad that he was using his father's name to, you know, get get stuff and make, make money and get on board that a crack addict would never get on um, were it not for his father. But the really damning stuff is, again, the 10 percent for the big guy and the fact that the Chinese know everything and the Russians that the Biden family has been doing for decades um, in terms of corruption and that makes that man compromise. And that's why it was so important for everybody to go to the polls um, on the on on the presidential 2020 election with the same information. And the FBI interfered with that. We know, Sean, that um, many people did not know about that story. Most Democrats, most people who got their news from CNN, MSNBC, or any of the mainstream media networks did not know about the story. And there was a poll, and this is the most important part. There was a poll after the election, after Joe Biden, um, you know, won the election, that said, if you had known about Hunter Biden's laptop, would you have voted for Joe Biden? And I think it was like 12% of people said they either would not have voted for Joe Biden or would not have voted at all. And in that case, the election would have then gone to um, Donald Trump. So the FBI totally interfered with the election. And that, to me, it is the biggest story in American history. Well, I think you're right. So when you talk about election interference, one, they were pushing a false narrative on Donald Trump. He is colluding with Russia. And then they use the Russia collusion narrative to say that it's false and fake, the story that you're going to get about Hunter Biden's laptop. Again, they're putting their thumb on the scale of the minds of Americans who are going to go to the, to the polls right then and vote, yeah. changing the way they think about both Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I, you, you hit something important, which is, is Joe Biden compromised? Um, and I think the laptop says there's good cause or good reason for us to believe he's compromised. And if we wanted to find that out, Rachel, it's very simple. The FBI could do a forensic audit of Joe and Hunter Biden to find out the flow of money. And you talk about the 10 percent, how Joe Biden was getting possibly 10 percent from Hunter Biden. Why hasn't a forensic audit been done so we can put this to bed or put Joe Biden in jail? Absolutely. It would be very easy. You know, the FBI knows how to, you know, look at white collar crimes. They know exactly how to do this. I don't understand why the Republican Party isn't making a bigger stink about this. I think there's been a, a way too much passivity um, in general from the Republican Party. But you know what, Sean? In addition to this FBI uh, audit um, that they could do to find out, you know, where his where his money came from, because the uh, Joe Biden, Joe Biden definitely lived. Um, way above the means um, and have for a long time of a public servant um, who's never had, you know, a business or, or any kind of other income besides the government. So th that's fishy to begin with. Um, and we all also know that, you know, Hunter Biden was paying bills for Joe Biden. I mean, our kids don't pay our bills, Sean. Um, in, in the, I, I don't pay my parents' bills. I mean, it's a weird arrangement. We all know that's weird. But also you can look at the policies. Joe Biden at every turn has been soft on China, whether it's, you know, the origins of COVID, um, whether it's, um, you, you, I mean, uh, trade deals um, that, that that could have been made. Uh, what, Sean, you know better about this. The, the, the Republicans tried to do something on China 
um, with Kevin McCarthy and and Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi wanted nothing to do with it um, that would have made it more difficult. You and, look at every single policy. Go ahead, Sean. I'm sorry. And no, I was, no, was going to say, you, you, you're spot on. I'm going to have to go to a, a hard break in a moment. But you're right. Even the green policies that are pushing yeah. windmills and solar panels and batteries, those policies are enriching China and taking money away from us. Rachel Campos-Duffy, uh, my lovely wife, uh, host of Fox & Friends Weekend. Hey everyone, Sean Duffy here, filling in for Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. Just putting my eyes on uh, the affidavit uh, here uh, submitted by the uh, Department of Justice, and it is redaction after redaction after redaction, uh, which we suspected the uh, magistrate in Florida was not going to give us a lot of information. I think the American people have a right to know. Uh, transparency matters. And um, we don't have that in this release of the document. And uh, as we go through the information that we have here, um, we're going to go first to Andy Biggs, congressman from Arizona, um, who is uh, one of the foremost critics of the administration, um, big on the border, but also big on what's happened here on the raid on uh, Donald Trump's home. Andy Biggs, uh, welcome to Fox Across America. Hey, Sean, good to talk to you. Good talk to you. So, hey, listen, this this just dropped, um, the affidavit released with the redactions. Do you have an initial take on what you've seen from the release? Um, I haven't been able to study it as fully as I want, but, I mean, as always, redactions, the, the information you really want to get to has been redacted. <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of the way that works. Um, and, and it leads to some questions that still are, are going to be unanswered here. Uh, and that is, Sean, really, uh, is, was this, is the record retention law really meant to be a criminal law, or is it really more of a civil matter? And, and I view it as really probably more of a civil matter, particularly when it comes to former presidents. And, and I, don't, I don't think we're going to get as much information as we want uh, ever uh, from the FBI at this point on, this, on these issues, even with this affidavit. No, I would, I would agree with you. They're not going to be transparent. And again, um, Donald Trump, uh, when a subpoena was um, issued at Mar-a-Lago for documents, they completely complied. The FBI agents came right. in, took information, took data, and then it doesn't make sense why they would raid his home. If they didn't get all they wanted, why wouldn't they just go back down and take the documents they say that Donald Trump has that belong um, to the archives or are too secretive for him to have at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, no, I mean, it, that, that's exactly right. And that's getting at my, my point, which is nor, normally you would, in a civil type of action like this, which is what it should be, you would be looking at um, a subpoena, not a, not a raid uh, with, uh, you know, basically swatted out, you know, officers coming in, uh, and with a general warrant, um, and you know, so far, everything I've seen indicates that they were talking about Nara, 
you know, uh, which is which is really the, the the National Archives Records Act, it's Retention Act. So, so they they were basically talking about something that was rather, in my opinion, a civil matter, and yet they've elevated it to this this criminal uh, event. And so it makes it look exactly what I think it is. It was a political matter, not a not not a a real legitimate FBI investigation matter. Um, so th- I mean, there's a lot going on here. Um, but as I've gone through this, uh, you know, it's it, uh, the the affidavit really doesn't tell me that much um, uh, as far as what they're really after. But they're but if it really is. Um, a records retention thing, as, as it says here under the probable cause section of the affidavit, then, then then it was way overkill, over you know, way beyond the scope, in my opinion. Well, so I think you, to to make the point, one they could have authorized um, or asked for another subpoena to go get additional documents from Mar-a-Lago. That was one option. It had worked in June. Why not work in August? But or if you're going to execute a search warrant. You would tailor it. You would you would have some scope right. on the search warrant on where to search and what to get. To your point, and a lot of people we hear general warrant um, that might not make a lot of sense, but a general warrant in essence is you can search everywhere for anything and everything in someone's home, which we don't do that in America. Um, and I think that that makes the point, Andy, that this was this was so broad. I've been arguing that I think, one, this was in regard to January 6th, truly, mm-hmm. or it was in regard to the civil case that Donald Trump has pending against Hillary Clinton, the DNC, and members of the Department of Justice and FBI from the Russia collusion hoax. What say you? Yeah, I, I agree with you. This is not not a records retention issue, in my opinion. This is this is something completely different. It's either dealing with January 6th or, or the, the other lawsuit or just a political matter. But, I mean, when you look at that affidavit, Sean, there are literally page after page of redactions. And, yes. and, 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 and the reason I say that that's important, we, we can still only speculate about what was driving this because they've managed to uh, uh, redact and keep uh, sealed the actual reasons, the rationale in the affidavit. Right. I mean, <laughs> and so, so uh, there's no transparency, and there's not going to be transparency, and that's what happens in an authoritarian type of government. Um, you, you know, so that that's I, I I hate to say that, but we're going to really have to take a close look at the FBI, and you you, you know you know how this works in Congress. Uh, the Oversight Committee is going to have to get to work on this. Same, same with Judiciary Committee. They both have jurisdictions here. And you know what? It, it, it's not just oversight, because oversight without a stick doesn't do anything. They're not yes. going to comply with Congress. We have to hold money um, hostage for documents, for transparency. And if we don't hold the money for the DOJ and the FBI um, in consideration of release of documents, we're not going to get them, I think, Andy. And do you think the Congress... Uh, if Republicans take over, we'll say, listen, you comply with us or you don't get funding. Um, you do comply with us, we'll fund you. Do you think we'll, Republicans will take that step? I, I do think that is our leverage point. And, and I do think Republicans, at least, at least in the House, have that, have that desire to use the leverage point. I think that there are some, a number of, of Republican senators. We don't know what's going to happen there. But I, I've always been an advocate. The House should do uh, the right thing. And then the Senate either follows or they or they go their own path. But we have to do the right thing, and that is, 
you know, and the Constitution says the purse strings, the spending starts in the House. So, so that's where we need to go. And and you're right. Uh, we there are so many things we can do, but the most influential, the check given to us by the founding fathers, was the purse strings, and that that has to happen and, here. And, and you're right. So if if uh, the Senate wants to do one thing, fund the FBI and the DOJ without the documents, but the House says no. Well, the House will win because it takes both chambers uh, to pass a bill and for the president to sign. So if the House says they haven't complied with our requests, we're not going to fund them. Um, that is the leverage point to, to your point that Republicans have. I want to move to this. We have, so one of the statues that were cited, and I, and I hate to read statues to people, but I'm just going to give you the backdrop of this. It says... Uh, whoever knowingly alters, destroys, mutilates, conceals, covers up, falsifies, or makes a false entry in any record, document, or tangible object with the intent to impede, obstruct, or influence the investigation or improper administration of any matter within the jurisdiction of any department, blah, 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 blah. So they say Donald Trump retained these documents and he wasn't authorized to do it. I was talking earlier, Andrew. Do you remember when the Mueller probe turned over their phones, and miraculously, two dozen of them, 24 of them, had either their phones intentionally wiped, their screens damaged, they forgot their passwords, put them in too many times, so their phones got wiped. We had none of that data, which I would argue 24 people don't do that uh, all at the same time on the same probe, unless it was intentional, to destroy documents that are documents of the American people do we see charges coming to any of the Mueller team based on the same statute that they're using for Donald Trump? Uh, no, unfortunately, and that's the two-tiered system that we're at. Uh, right. You know, and, and, and that's happened time and time again where phones have been wiped, other data has been wiped out. But one of the things that's mentioned here, Sean, in that statute is in, with intention to obstruct. So you have a culpable middle state. You have, you have to have a requisite intention not knowledge that you might, not, uh, you know, not reckless. You have to intentionally do this. And so uh, uh, how, how can they possibly say that? Um, it wasn't like Donald Trump is sitting there in the White House saying, put this in the box, take that out. He didn't do that. And, and so uh, – and, and we'll never know again because they've redacted of the 38 pages of the affidavit or whatever. They've redacted like 20 or 25 of those pages. I mean, are just black, black lines all the way through it. So you won't know it. But, but you're right. It is a two-tiered system, and it's, it drives me crazy. It drives the American people crazy too because they see it over and over again. See, you bring up an interesting point. Um, you, know, you and I served in Congress together. I uh, resigned from Congress in 2019, and so we packed up my office. I know I'm with the president. I'm a lowly member of Congress. I didn't pack one box, Andy. My team right. packed the boxes up in my office, and then they shipped the boxes to Wisconsin, and they went into a storage facility, and I haven't looked at them since. I've never seen them. Donald Trump, as the president, didn't pack one darn box, and probably once those boxes got to Mar-a-Lago, I'm sure he hasn't gone through any of those boxes. And so to your point, these are intentional crimes that they're citing for Donald Trump. It would be hard, impossible to show intent when he didn't know what was taken, what was in the boxes. Um, and when asked, he said I, they came in and they took what they wanted. I had no objection to them coming in uh, with a subpoena and getting documents out of Mar-a-Lago. There was no problem from me. I don't see where they could find the intent in this crime. I, I agree with you. And, 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 and throw this on there, too. Um, he, 
President Trump had a standing declassification order. So did he, were, were, were these documents declassified or not while he was president? I, who knows? But it certainly says how in the world, if you're the prosecutor, how can you make a case of intention? And so, again, this looks like harassment. This looks like political motivation. And it looks like uh, that this is exactly the desire that the, that the left has had since he walked down the golden escalator at Trump Tower. They they don't want the guy. He is a disruptor. You know. I mean, Sean, you you were we were in Congress. I mean, he he was a disruptor to the Uniparty, the the swamp, and and so they they the lefters really attacked him, and they want to prevent him from getting on the ballot. And I personally believe, normally you don't move to a search warrant like this unless you're ready to to actually file charges and bring criminal charges against somebody. But I don't see any way in the world that that they can lay the 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 mental state of intention intentionality on Donald Trump based on just the surroundings of of what we've seen, and then now this bogus affidavit that's that's redacted, basically. You know, Andy, my uh, when I was a prosecutor, I was a prosecutor for ten years, um, and you mentioned the word harassment, and I couldn't agree with you more. This this has been the FBI and the DOJ constantly, continuously harassing Donald Trump again with their leaks, their fake information, their fake investigations. Um, if I was a prosecutor and I did that, what the FBI has done to Donald Trump, as a prosecutor, if I did that to a defendant, and then I came back with this kind of a warrant when I had a defendant who was cooperating, the judge would have thrown me out of the courtroom. The judge wouldn't oh, stand yeah. for this kind of harassment of any kind of defendant. But because it's Donald Trump, because, to your point, he's a disruptor, because he doesn't follow the rules of the swamp, their only motive here is to take him down, make sure he is unelectable, and do all they can to try to put him behind bars. Agreed. I mean, it, that's they, they want that image. They hate him that much. Uh, in Congress, we see it. They're obsessed with him. They can, you can, it can be any bill that has nothing to do with Donald Trump or any, even even his Trump's policies, his platform, whatever. And they're going to almost invariably bring up Donald Trump uh, and, and, and attack him because they, he's in their heads. He lives in the left's head. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, rent free. and yeah, rent free. And, and you know what? It's, it's, it's amazing to me. Uh, and they believe if you cut off the head of the snake, which is what they're trying to do here, that that the movement dies, but the movement is American, is really American in origins. It's American in in concept and philosophy. It's American in 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 ideal and and, and emotion and heart, and and it's going to go on. It will go on because the, it's it's born of people who love this country more than any any place else and recognize it had a divine origin and a divine destiny. That's that's what they're trying to kill. Andy Biggs, thanks for joining me. Appreciate your insight, wisdom. I appreciate the fight, the energy that you have for common sense and the fight for America that you bring to the Congress. Uh, you're a great leader, and I appreciate you joining me on Fox Across America. Thanks, Sean, and i got to get you back to the border with me, man. We'll do that again. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I, I would love to. It's, uh, you, you have the best border trips of any member of Congress. You've got it down. I look forward to coming back with you. Andy Biggs, I appreciate thanks. it. We'll be back shortly with Fox Across America. The show that sees through the bullet. 
my response is right, you know, and the stripper really likes you. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Sean Duffy in for Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. So this is about politics. We have a big nothing burger that came from the affidavit. But the real driver here is not just the information that was gathered and the purpose for why this raid was done, this overly broad search warrant. It's about politics, and I want to tell you why. So Republicans are motivated to vote, right? They're going to come out in November. They're frustrated with the direction of the country. Liberals, some independents that might might vote Democrat, they're not motivated. There's nothing to go vote for in November because the policies have been so bad. I mean, look, in America sees open borders, you know, the crime and the drugs that have come from open borders. They've seen policies of defund the police and how it's destroyed the communities that have implemented those policies of, uh, of defunding the police. Wild inflation. I mean, people can't afford food at the grocery store. Um, they've moved from beef to chicken, now to mayonnaise sandwiches, because folks can't afford the food to feed their families. Gas prices, which have come down, yes, a little bit, uh, no thanks to Joe Biden. Uh, the reason gas prices have come down, not because there's more production, but because traders believe we're going into a recession. Uh, that's not something to sing about. So, This is about making sure that we have a boogeyman on the ballot. And if you can motivate Democrats because Donald Trump is on the ballot and this raid kicks Donald Trump, you know, into the national spotlight again. And he'd kind of gone off. You know, yes, he does some interviews, but he's not on Facebook. He's not on Twitter. He's on his platform, Truth Social. Um, if they can bring him back into the mindset of the American people, they think they can replicate in November of this year what they did in December, I'm sorry, in November of 2020. Um, and so this is all about a political strategy of bringing Donald Trump to the forefront. The big orange boogeyman is going to come and get you. You need to vote against Republicans because of Donald Trump, who is not on the ballot. And by the way, forget about how we've devastated the American economy, forget our you know embarrassing withdrawal from Afghanistan, forget the open borders, uh, forget our march uh, to socialism and Marxism, authoritarian control, forget all about that. Just think about Donald Trump. And if you can't think about Donald Trump, maybe you need to think about abortion as well. But don't think about what I've done to your family and what I have done to your life and to your finances and to your economy. Don't think about any of that because... If you do, you're going to throw every single Democrat out of office. Again, I'm Sean Duffy. This is Fox Across America. We'll be back next hour with more. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey, everyone. Sean Duffy here in for Jimmy Fallon, who's off doing some comedy show somewhere in America, getting a taste outside of New York City and probably New Jersey. Uh, So I'm honored to sit in his chair and and fill in for three hours of fun. Big news day. I want to talk about politics. So four months ago, uh, Republicans were up on the generic ballot by seven points. Okay, the generic ballot is 
There's not a candidate. You're not talking about any candidate's name. You're just saying, would you want to vote for a Republican or a Democrat? Four months ago, Republicans in Fox News polling were up by seven. Today, the polling is tied. Do you want a Republican or a, Demo- or a Democrat? It's 41 to 41. So there's been seven points of slippage over the last four months. Now, some people are like, oh, my goodness, this is horrible. We can't have that. Um, I'll just tell you, when I ran for Congress in 2010, Democrats on the, on the generic ballot were up by two. So the way the generic ballot works is, um, yes, it's a balloting, but the way that voter turnout works, um, Republicans can be down by four on the generic ballot and still win several seats in the House. So uh, Republicans are still looking very good um, as they go into the November elections, not as good as they were four, four months ago. And this polling was done, obviously, in August. And in August, people aren't paying attention. They're, you know, they're, they're camping, they're going to the beach, um, they're taking a family trip before the kids go back to school. And when they come back and kids are in school and we get into September and ads start to run and messaging starts to be driven to the voter, then there will be a decision as to what direction they go. And I think Republicans will again take the lead on that generic ballot. Um, but it's tightening. And uh, Joe Biden sees that. And if you look back to, 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 to the era of Bill Clinton or even George Bush, there was an effort for presidential candidates, yes, to run to their political base. You know, uh, George Bush ran to the right, but then he governed from the center. Bill Clinton ran to the left, but then tried to govern from the center. Uh, Barack Obama didn't govern from the center. Donald Trump didn't govern from the center, and nor did or has uh, Joe Biden. And part of this election strategy for Joe Biden is you got to attack Republicans. You got to call them extremists. Um, and so I want to go to Joe Biden in Rockville, Maryland, clip seven. Trump and the extreme MAGA Republicans have made their choice to go backwards, full of anger, violence, hate, and division. But we've chosen a different path. Forward, the future, unity, hope, and optimism. Unity, hope, optimism? Has this guy lost his mind? There's nothing about unity or hope or optimism that has come from Joe Biden in anything that he's done, and especially going after Donald Trump the way he has, raiding his home, um, has not built any middle ground. And Joe Biden, if you remember, pulled this idea that we could call Republicans who support Donald Trump MAGA Republicans and they're extremists. What does MAGA mean? MAGA is make America great again. And the theme behind Make America Great Again is put our country first, put um, American workers first, American jobs first, American opportunity first. Make sure we are the best home for workers and for opportunity and growth. And that means you want to have streamlined rules and regulations so businesses can actually do business and compete and hire people. We want to make sure we have lower taxes. We all have to be taxed, but lower taxes so profit doesn't get consumed by a bloated, fat government as opposed to going to new innovation and creativity and expansion of your business. It's that balance that has helped make America great. And if you look back to the Trump years, um, there was more wage growth in the 
lower quarter of income earners than there was in the top quarter of income earners because the philosophy of free enterprise actually worked. Joe Biden has come out with his philosophy of, um, I would say, big government socialism, and we've seen the utter failure, the devastation of those policies on the American people. But it's not just calling out uh, extremist MAGA Republicans. And I want to talk about the word extremism in a little bit. But I want to go to clip eight, when he talked about Republicans uh, being a threat to democracy. We're at a serious moment in our nation's history. The MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and economic security. They're a threat to our very democracy. They refuse to accept the will of the people. They embrace, embrace political violence. They don't believe in democracy. Okay. They believe in violence. I've been to numerous Trump rallies. Um, Every American who wanted could watch a Trump rally on TV. And it was the most peaceful group of people, um, happy group of people opposed to violence. But if you look at, you know, the attacks that have happened on um, on uh, pregnancy centers across the country, when the Dobbs decision, which was the overturning of Roe v. Wade, came out, uh, there was Molotov cocktails. There was defacing of uh, of those pro-life centers, which, by the way, they're just trying to help moms want to keep their baby, maybe get formula, maybe get diapers, make decisions that uh, might help them keep their baby. That's all they do, and Democrats have attacked them. There's been protests uh, in violation of the law outside of um Supreme Court justices' homes, um, and the Department of Justice under Joe Biden has refused to prosecute the violators of that federal law. There's been death threats and, a, uh, and one attack on Justice Kavanaugh, planned uh, but foiled, to take his life. Um, violence, the support of Democrats for the BLM movement that, that burned our cities, took over the streets. Think back to the to the 2020 Republican convention that Donald Trump had at the White House. And when Republicans left the White House to walk back to their hotels or their cars, the violence that they met on the streets, the threats um, to Senator Rand Paul um, and others that we had on video, vile threats to the to their wives, to the women that were with them, um, horrible stuff. And Democrats didn't condemn it, and law enforcement didn't prosecute it. If you want to talk about uh, Senator Rand Paul, he was attacked in his backyard by a liberal uh, who hated his policies. Steve, Steve Scalise shot by a Bernie Sanders supporter on the baseball field. I mean, there's a lot of violence. And for Joe Biden to say Republicans are violent, listen, Republicans have said, you know, not, again, there's a debate about this. But he's talking about democracy. Well, Republicans have said, we're concerned about the fairness of the last election. Some of them have said that. And we're concerned because we had mail-in balloting. We had drop boxes. There wasn't security around the election. And there was, and I can say this specifically in Wisconsin, the funny business that was played, the working of the laws. And just maybe as, as a brief side note, in Wisconsin, we have voter IDs. You have to show a voter ID to, to vote. And there's one exception that says if you're indefinitely confined, meaning you're in a nursing home or you're in a wheelchair and you can't go to the polls, there's an exception that says you don't have to show an ID, you can still vote. Well, in liberal counties, they said, oh, 
because of the pandemic, everybody is indefinitely confined and nobody has to show an ID. So it calls into question the credibility of the election for some of these Republicans. And as an American, I want I, if, if, if there's a candidate that I support and they lose, I want to feel good that they lost, that it was a fair election. That's what we should all want. You don't want people questioning elections, which means we shouldn't have looser election laws. We should have election laws that are tighter. So we guarantee that every lawful voter only gets one vote and it's their vote. They don't vote for somebody else. Um, but, you know, Joe, Joe Biden, to, to make these allegations, again, it wants to, he wants to drive this theme that they're radicals and they're extremists. Well, if you look at this, 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 this spending that's happened over the course of Joe Biden's presidency, just as a reminder, $1.9 trillion at the start of his presidency for COVID relief. Right. COVID was dying. COVID was the pandemic was over. But one point nine trillion dollars when the billions of dollars that were passed under the Trump era weren't even spent. But they they spent another one point nine trillion on COVID, a slush fund that they've now used to uh, to uh, pay off three hundred billion dollars of student loans, which we're going to get to later for uh, American graduates with debt. They spent one point two trillion on infrastructure, where only a limited amount of that actually went to infrastructure. Most of it's to green energy projects, but $1.2 trillion. Then they spent, uh, uh, what, uh, $250 billion on the CHIPS Act, trying to bring manufacturing uh, for semiconductors back to the U.S. Well, the cost of that bill was actually, at the high end, $50 billion. Donald Trump said you could do it for $20 billion. But they said, well, no, we're going to bloat it up here. We're going to spend $50 billion to get semiconductor manufacturing into America. But the bill was $250 billion. Massive porking up of this legislation. And then you had the $500 billion spent in the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, again, inflation reduction by spending more money with green new energy policies um, is going to drive inflation. But again, more massive spending. And as I mentioned, the $300 billion for student loan forgiveness. So on top of the deficits that we already run in America because we don't bring in enough money in taxes to pay the obligations that we have, whether it's Social Security, Medicare, um, military, all the agencies of government, we run a deficit. Um, and on top of that, we spent $1.9 trillion on COVID, $1.2 trillion on infrastructure, $250 on chips, $500 on, um, on inflation reduction, massive spending. That's radical. That's extreme. Late-term partial birth abortion is radical and extreme. Open borders are radical and extreme. Defunding the police is radical and extreme. Shutting down American energy and making us go to China for uh, windmills and solar panels is extreme. Joe Biden, Democrats are extreme. We'll be right back. You're listening to the best dad on the radio. Can't believe you forgot my birthday. You're with Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. Welcome back to Fox Across America. I'm Sean Duffy in for the great Jimmy Fela, as I call him Jimmy Winner, because he is a winner. 
I want to talk about the border and one of the brightest, best minds on what's happening on the border is Mark Morgan, former acting CBP commissioner and Heritage Foundation visiting fellow. Mark, uh, welcome to the program. Good to talk to you. You too, Sean. Thanks for having me. I want to get your take, Mark. You know, when uh, when Texas started busing migrants up to New York City and did at Washington D.C., I thought it was a gimmick. I thought this was a bus or two all to get a little bit of press for Governor Abbott, and it wasn't going to have much impact. But what I find fascinating is you're starting to see that Mayor Adams and Muriel Bowser, the mayor of Washington D.C who are sanctuary cities, and they love being a sanctuary city where they won't cooperate with the feds, are all of a sudden saying, oh, goodness, we say we want open borders and we love migrants, but when Texas starts to bust migrants to their cities, they seem to start to complain. What say you? Yeah, Sean, I mean, we're we're a whole new level, a whole new world of hypocrisy. I remember when Governor Abbott did this, you know, I I was actually a little bit on the other side. I said, look, this isn't going to be a gimmick because at at least it's going to continue to make sure that this catastrophic, very important issue uh, along our southwest border was going to be continued on the top fold. And that's exactly what we've seen. But as you said, let's keep this in context. So both of these mayors are staunch supporters of sanctuary city law. In fact, New York and D.C., they have some of the most prolific sanctuary city laws in our nation, meaning if an illegal alien gets to New York City, they're going to get free education, free health care. They're going to get driver's license. They're going to be able to uh, work illegally at will. They're going to be able to remain in New York City and protected, even though they're here illegally. The list goes on and on. And now after a couple of thousand have been bussed by Governor Abbott, now they're cry- crying foul. It's a catastrophe. They need the National Guard. And the list goes on. And, and one last thing. It's also absolutely absurd and tone deaf because they've gotten a couple of thousand. Well, there's some there are some uh, counties on the southwest border that that maybe a county. They have twenty five thousand, Sean, and they get seventy eight thousand illegal aliens every twenty four hours. I mean, every aspect of their budget, their resources and public health and safety are being impacted. Meanwhile, New York is one of the largest, richest cities in New York. It's absolutely absurd and hypocrisy. You know, what I find interesting is, so when you're a sanctuary city, and tell me if I'm wrong, your law enforcement is not allowed to cooperate with the federal government to find people who are in the country illegally and actually have them deported. So there's a lack of cooperation with the federal government at the state level. But then at the state level, or now at the, at the city level uh, in D.C. and New York, they're saying, oh, no, no. Now, we're not going to cooperate with you, federal government, but we want the federal government to come in with the National Guard and support us in our effort to, to take care of all of these illegal immigrants that we said we actually wanted. Is there, I mean, am I right on the hypocrisy? No, no, Sean, you got it. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm actually, if it wasn't so serious, I'm, I'm laughing right now as you're talking because you just illustrated the hypocrisy very well. They're, they've been saying, come on, it, it's okay to, to violate our sovereignty as our nation. It's okay. The end justifies the means, right, that, that you can break our laws to illegally enter the country. And all of that's okay. And, and you can come to New York City unless Governor Abbott sends you, then somehow that's that's wrong. It's absolutely short. And one one other thing, Sean, that I can say is let's keep in mind, for the past eighteen months, the Biden administration has been flying illegal aliens to New York City. They've just been doing it under the cover of darkness. And here's another aspect. 
you know, countless illegal aliens. Border Patrol right now is forced to arrest them and then release them to non-governmental organizations. And then those NGOs, by the way, funded by taxpayers, are flying illegal aliens directly to New York and D.C. They've been doing that for the past 18 months, but these mayors haven't said anything about this. It's not until Governor Abbott very publicly in the middle of the day uh, uh, ships these illegal aliens to New York City that somehow it's an issue. I totally agree. And I I look at the politics. And I was down at the border when I was in Congress. I must have been in 15 and 16. And it was bad, Um, you know, at that point. And we were surprised by how bad it was under the Obama era. Trump ran on border security. And it was nothing compared to what it is right now. I have to imagine, no matter if it's it's Trump or DeSantis or whoever's going to run, the border is going to be a key element of anyone's campaign. And I think Maybe I'm wrong, but most Americans um, understand the danger of an open border, whether it's terrorists that come in, whether it's the financial cost to the country to educate, house, health care for migrants, but also the the driving down of wages of American citizens in in lower income jobs. Yeah. So, Sean, again, everything you said spot on. Couldn't have said better myself. And there's something very important you said. You you talked in this term of terms of border security. That's what this is about. It's not about illegal immigration. Illegal immigration is a subset of causing our borders to be open. And here's what I mean by this. And this is a false narrative out there that somehow you can be for border security and for illegal immigration. It doesn't work that way. Those things are connected. They're not mutually exclusive. As illegal immigration goes up currently, the highest we've seen in our lifetime, our ability to secure our borders go down. Why? Because we have resources that are pulled off the front line, off the national security mission to be relegated to administrative duties, hospital watch, transportation, and processing. Right now, this administration, shot has literally handled operational control over the cartels. They, they, they've turned it all over to the cartel. Mark Morgan on Fox Across America. Thanks for joining me. We'll be back. Welcome back to Fox Across America. Sean Duffy in for Jimmy Fela. Crazy. Talking about crazy here. In my home state of Wisconsin, uh, this school push to indoctrinate our kids, to sexualize our kids, is in full force and effect. So in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, which is a suburb of Milwaukee, uh, there is uh, a new school board proposal that passed that would teach kindergartners about uh, the correct names of body parts, sexual body parts, which, by the way, talk about uncomfortable and talk about something that should be left up to the parents themselves to discuss with, uh, with their children. But then if we look to fourth graders, uh, fourth graders will talk about um, sexual preferences, sexual identities, um, cisgender, transgender, non-binary Again, a fourth grader, kindergartner, the conversations are so inappropriate for our children. Um, and again, a space that a school who we've entrusted to teach them reading, writing, math, English, um, we didn't hire them to be sex, sex educators. It's none of their business. Uh, but the school board in Wauwatosa has now passed that. I want to bring in uh, my next guest, one of uh, the great members in Congress from the greatest state in the country, Scott Fitzgerald. Um, he is a member of Congress from the suburbs of Milwaukee. Fitz, good to talk to you. Welcome to the program. 
Thanks, Sean. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. I, listen, I should know my districts better than I probably do right now. Do you have Wauwatosa in your district? I do. It's one of the areas that's changing as a result of the latest uh, redistricting maps. But uh, certainly very much in touch with what's going on in, in Tosa and watching closely what's going on with the school board. Because i got a lot of constituents that are approaching me when you're out in the district. And uh, as you can imagine, very upset by what's going on. So what's the impression of parents who you've come into contact with about schools now teaching such graphic sexual content to their kids? Yeah, not to oversimplify it, but, you know, when they kind of hear the premise, which is kind of as you described, that that they're going to get down into the quote-unquote nitty-gritty of uh, sex and uh, intercourse within the classroom, uh, it, it it's got people outraged and and i think rightfully so they're they're, they keep getting closer and closer to kind of what uh you know as as you described human growth and development curriculum And, and it's so controversial that actually in the state of wisconsin there is a way for parents to actually have their children opt out i mean so so that kind of demonstrates or underscores the whole idea of just how controversial this is I think it's in fifth grade or when I was in school in the 80s and fifth grade, that's when sex education was taught. And it was pretty basic. It was some body part stuff. You know, girls talked about how their bodies work. Boys talked about how their or talked to about how their bodies work. But it was pretty, pretty lame and tame compared to what's being done now. And I just remember as a fifth grader, I was really uncomfortable in those conversations. It was and it was and it was a tame conversation. I can't imagine the discomfort these kids have to go through to have adults talk to them about things that they sh- they, sh- they should be talking about you know baseball and dolls and playing and what they're watching on TV not about this radical sexual agenda no and this is you know part of the national sex education standards so when they had uh, the school board meeting they took almost three hours of testimony, and it was like everybody was there from students, parents, educators. They had some doctors come in. Uh, it, they had an overflow room of people because it was just that hot a topic. And, and I would expect, you know, district by district and every school board in Wisconsin is going to have to implement something. But for some reason, Wauwatosa just went kind of right over the line and uh, and has drawn the, the ear of, of uh, many parents in the district. So give me your take on the politics of this. Again, this this used to be a, a, a more Republican area of the state, is that fair to say, and has kind of trended to the left in recent elections. And so do you see that the, 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 the voters of Wauwatosa would agree with the school board's action, or do you think that, uh, like what we saw in the primary in, uh, in Florida, that the school board will get thrown out and new conservatives, new parents will be brought in who will bring common sense and true education back to the school board? Yeah, I mean, you know the 5th Congressional District. It's, uh, it's very conservative, uh, still leans heavily GOP. And Wauwatosa is one of those communities that's in the Milwaukee County portion of the district. And, I, I, you know, but when you, when you think of Wauwatosa, yeah, a sleepy community that is very conservative and, you know, uh, for many years, uh, very non-controversial. But uh, the demographics have been changing. And as a result of that, seems to be more and more clashes. Uh, 
And uh, this whole thing with the school board kind of falls into that category. I'll, I'll just say what we saw in the spring elections in Wisconsin, too, was there was a wholesale change, just, just like we saw in some other parts of the nation, where some of these school boards um, that typically almost are unchallenged, and certainly, uh, you know, school board races were rare, uh, that's changed, and uh, and I think rightfully so, as people and parents become more and more upset. And as a member of judiciary, you know, I get a steady diet of uh, you know just what is uh, Merrick Garland, and uh, certainly what are these types of investigations into parents who dare to show up at these school board meetings. I mean, that's another element of this that uh, really has many people upset. You know, I think the the answer becomes if you can get your kids out of the school system, um, it's important that you save your child and you get them into a school system that fits your values and morals. Um, and whether that's a Catholic school or some classical education, get them out of the public school if you can. And I think it's important ask ask your parents to help you with their grandchildren or aunts and uncles to get them out. But I do think that, you know, when we look at state-funded dollars, you spend a lot of time in the Senate. You led the Wisconsin Senate. What happened in, in Arizona, I think, is the, is, is the real solution. Stop giving money to schools. Give money to parents and kids so they can go wherever they want and then get out of these woke schools. Do you think something like that uh, with what happened in, in Arizona? Again, and just to remind our listeners, Arizona, I believe it was $7,500 per child Go where you want. Could the same thing happen in Wisconsin, and if not Wisconsin, other states? Do you think that's going to be the new mission to fight these woke schools uh, and woke school boards? Yeah, I mean, you're very familiar with the idea that Wisconsin is a state that's had uh, school choice uh, originally based in Milwaukee and then down in Racine. And then the legislature, uh, I believe it was four years ago, we actually kind of pulled the trigger and made it statewide. Uh, and it's had an impact. It absolutely puts more pressure on the public schools to perform. Uh, like you described, the money follows the child. And it uh, it holds uh, some of these district administrators, as well as the school boards, holds their feet to the fire on whether or not they're delivering a good project. And, you know, when I when I talk to state legislators in Wisconsin, there's always plans to expand that. We've got a gubernatorial that's going to be very close, I think, in Wisconsin, and and hopefully uh, Tim Michaels, Republican candidate, comes through that. And I'd love to see the legislature once again expand that that voucher program and make sure that uh, that these parents have control of their own child's education. It's their money. It's their tax dollar. Um, and in Arizona, there's no restriction on income. Um, on on race, on sex, on, there's no restriction. Every child gets it. Um, it's blanket, and I think that makes the most sense. We were uh, leaders uh, under the Tommy Thompson gubernatorial era, where we started those vouchers. Very popular in minority communities, um, but we could be a leader again and expand that quickly before we go. Fitz, um, we talk about oversight. How important oversight is. You're on judiciary, a key committee. Do you think that uh, the Congress and specifically uh, your committee is going to do sufficient oversight, advocate to hold money, um, withhold money from agencies that don't comply with requests that come from judiciary? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, Jim Jordan is chomping at the bit uh, to line up all of these people that, uh, quite honestly, Jerry Nadler has refused to bring in before the committee uh, so that we can do significant uh, oversight within judiciary. So not only do I think that you've got the right person in place to, uh, to be the chairman of that committee, but then beyond that, uh, you know, there's so many uh, specific topics that just jump out at you. I, I think anything less than than a full investigation into some of these and in between, uh, you know, Representative Comer and Jim Jordan and some of these people that have been watching these things develop, I think we'll be ready to go. And I think it'll be a significant part of what the new uh, Republican House after the November elections uh, will take up almost immediately and, and dig in and let's get to the bottom of this stuff. It, there's nothing that comes up more frequently with constituents in the district when I'm out and about than um, we can't let these people get away with this. It's not fair and justice needs to be served and Congress's role with oversight uh, should be significant in, in all of that. You can't, you can't have two tiers of justice one for Republicans and one for Democrats. My last quick question for you, Fitz. Uh, a big Senate race in Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, um, two-term senator from the great state, one of the uh, big advocates for truth and transparency around you know, COVID and vaccines. Um, how do you see that race shaping up? You know, it's it's uh, Wisconsin's a purple state, but uh, Ron Johnson has won two statewide elections in the past, and he did it by taking the message directly to the people, and he's doing that again. Um, I also know his opponent, Mandela Barnes, very well, watching him in the legislature when I was there, and then also as lieutenant governor. Um, I, this is a guy that's uh, just a hollow shell of what's being presented. Uh, he certainly doesn't have the chops or the ability to serve in the U.S. Senate. It would be a huge mistake, I think, for the state to actually send him out to D.C. to represent us, along with, with uh, you know, the ultra-liberal Tammy Baldwin, who we already have in the U.S. Senate. So Ron Johnson needs to uh, be reelected and, uh, and go back out to D.C. and continue the work he's been doing. Scott Fitzgerald from the greatest state in the nation, Wisconsin, suburbs of Milwaukee, the 5th District. Thanks for joining me on Fox Across America. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. Great to be with you. Thank you. You as well. All right. We'll be right back shortly. It's the show that leaves you hungry for more. We'll probably sit around and cook some soup, eat bread and desserts, and just get all fat and sassy. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Fox Across America. I'm Sean Duffy, keeping the seat warm for Jimmy Fallon, who is all across America right now doing some comedy shows. It's great to fill in uh, for him for three hours of fun on a big news day. Uh, I want to bring in uh, congressional candidate Cassie Garcia. She's a Republican. Uh, she's the nominee for uh, Texas 28th Congressional District, uh, running in a fantastic race. She's running against uh, incumbent Henry Cuellar, who I was talking about earlier in the show. Cassie, welcome to the show. Hi, Sean. I'm so honored to be with you today. 
It's great to be with you too. So, um, this is, I think it's always, I think no one understands districts better and the, 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 the issues that people care about than congressional candidates. It's a, it's a wide swath of people and the campaigning that happens, you get the real flavor of what issues people care about and, um, and what's driving them as we come to the November election. So I want to ask you, as, as we look at this, this new proposal that's come out by uh, Joe Biden, to forgive the debt of American graduates who make less than $120,000 a year, forgiving up to ten, maybe $20,000 per person, how does that play in Texas 28? Well, I'll tell you this, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a proud graduate. I went to, to college in the district, local University of Texas, Pan American, now known as UTRGV, and I'm still paying my student loans. So I know how hard it is to repay them, but this is wrong. And it's a bad policy for our community. It is also incredible regressive, you know, mechanics, teachers, and bodega workers shouldn't be bailing out Harvard law alums to the tune of $1 trillion over the next 10 years. We should be reforming the broken student loan system, not pouring more gasoline on that fire. And yesterday I was doing a, an ice cream social in Freer County, Duval County yesterday in Freer, Texas, and talking to the voters, they are outraged. They are upset. You know, many of them have already paid off their student loans. Um, and, you know, the day I chose, you know, not to go to an elite school uh, to, you know, my parents couldn't afford to send me to college. So I thought I'd do the responsible thing you know, take out student loans, what I could use, you know, and I'm, st- I'm, I'm still paying off my student loans. So I think it's ridiculous. And it's, it's just one failed policy after another. And I think this is outrageous. You know, Cassie, I, I went to undergrad, I uh, went to law school, um, and I paid my loans off after I left Congress in my late 40s. And it was hard when you're paying your loans, but I got the benefit of a degree that I was able to advance my career with um, and do wonderful things with. And so I got the benefit. I should pay for it. But someone who was a a welder or um, a mechanic shouldn't have to pay for someone who gets the benefit of a a great degree, especially, Cassie, when you look at these universities. Uh, In total, they have uh, over $200 billion in their trust funds, in their endowments, that could totally be tapped or could be taxed, but they don't. And the American people actually bail out um, the, the, the students for overpriced institutions. To your point, it seems just unfair. I agree with you 100% on that. You know, I think, you know, students, you know, they're, they're, they go in, they take a $150,000 student loan, and, you know, they want to get a quality education. You know, and many, many of these students uh, change their career, change what they're going to major in, you know, and it ends up being another 35, 40K. You know, I think, honestly, this is a bipartisan problem. I'd like to see Republicans, you know, take a higher education reform when we retake the House come this November. You know, and there are a few common sense things that we can do, like talk about dual enrollment credits where you can receive college credit, you know, for class that you take in high school should be more widely available. And universities should count them towards satisfying electives and prerequisitions, you know, and we should encourage private companies to stop requiring degrees for entry-level positions and jobs that don't really need them. You know, some people have to work and go to school, and these policies make it harder to do that. So we should expand also like trade schools and look at accelerated degree options. Cassie, I only have like 40 seconds left. Tell me what's happening with Hispanic voters in Texas. What transition's happening? 
We are going to see a red wave. Democrats have left the Hispanic community, and people are so fired up and cannot wait to to vote for, for Cassie Garcia. We are ready for a better way forward. And come this November, we are going to flip District 28, and I will be the first Hispanic female Latina to ever represent District 28. We are going to send Henry Cuellar packing and Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi packing this coming November. Yeah, Cassie, I know how hard races are. Uh, keep up the good work. There is an end in sight, and it's November, but hard work and shoe leather uh, pays off uh, at the ballot box. Thanks for joining me on Fox Across America, Cassie. All right. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Hey, Sean Duffy, still here. Hour three, filling in for Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. Jimmy Fallon, who I call Jimmy Winna, um, who is heading out across America right now doing some comedy shows. So in about um, one hour and 15 minutes, I'm loading my, my uh, I think I have four of my, I do have, I have four of my kids with me in Wisconsin getting in my Suburban, and I'm driving from Wisconsin out to New Jersey. I had to move to New Jersey a year ago. I uh, spent my whole life in Wisconsin. But moved out a year ago because my wife uh, got the Fox & Friends weekend show. So for the first time, I switched my location uh, and bought a place in New Jersey so we could all be together, made a decision that was best for our family um, so Rachel doesn't leave on the weekends and we're all separated. But I'm on that trip, um, wondering if anyone has any advice for me. So I, on the last trip, I don't know if anyone read the book Where the Red Fern Grows. Great, uh, great book for kids to, uh, to, to read and or listen to. So as I take this trip, I'm trying to find a good book on tape that I have, I have six years old, eight years old, 12 years old, and 14 years old, all on this you know 20-hour trip back to New Jersey. Any advice? Uh, shoot me a note. I'm at uh, Sean Duffy, Wisconsin on Twitter. Sean Duffy, W-I. Sean Duffy, W-I. Um, if you have any advice for me on a good book to listen to with my kids, I would be grateful for anyone's advice that you have for me. Um, I can maybe get Dad of the Day or Dad of the Month award for my kids for getting a good book that they'd like to listen to. Um, we talked to Cassie Garcia last hour, and she's talking about the politics of the student loan um, bailout that Joe Biden just implemented. Now, the history of this is he used the HEROES Act, which was passed in early 2000. And so after 9-11, um, men and women who signed up to go fight um, in Afghanistan to push back against terrorists, those first responders who uh, participated in the rescue after 9-11, the idea was that we don't want them to fall on hard times when they've given so much service to the country. And so there was a provision that would allow the president uh, for this specific group of people to uh, actually get some help with their schooling and their loans. Joe Biden has taken the language of the HEROES Act. And because of the pandemic, which, by the way, he said is over, uh, the reason he got rid of Title 42 on the border was because his argument went that the pandemic is over and therefore we don't need these provisions and provisions in place uh, to limit flow of folks, you know, coming into our country. But but then in regard to student loans, he's telling us that, oh, no, 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 the pandemic is still alive and well. And I'm going to use 
the Heroes Act. I'm going to stretch it. I'm going to contort it. I'm going to mold it to try to make it work so I can forgive loans for a wide swath of Americans. Um, and I, I would say there's a level of injustice here um, that's going to, one, drive inflation, but two, doesn't get to the root cause of, um, of what's happening in college education. So over 40 years ago, let's go back to 1982, um, in today's dollars, on average, college costs $10,000 per year. Uh, today, it's over $25,000 per year. And this is adjusted for inflation numbers. So college, over the last 40 years, has gone up in price when we've taken inflation out, gone up in price 180%. So the question becomes, what's driving the cost of college? Well, uh, today, at least I know this in Wisconsin and many other schools around the country, there's three to one administrators to teachers, three to one administrators to people in the classroom who are actually teaching kids. Huge cost. But when you subsidize the cost of education through your federal government, the price doesn't go down. The price actually goes up. So, for example, when uh, Democrats passed the the lie called Inflation Reduction Act. Um, in that bill, there is an incentive to buy an electric car. You can get $7,500 in a tax credit to go towards the purchase of your new electric car. Well, on the day the bill was signed by Joe Biden, what happened? GM, Ford, and other manufacturers raised the cost of their electric cars by anywhere from $6,000 to $8,000. So the tax credit that you're supposed to get to afford a, uh, a, an electric car, you don't get that money because Ford just raised the cost. They're going to take the money. You don't get it. Your price isn't going to go down at all, even with the tax credit. And so when you subsidize schools with uh, the kind of grants and loans that are given, that the federal government is in the driver's seat on financing of schools, costs go up. And so I think there's a simple solution here because there's three parties at play. One, there's the student. Two, there's the federal government that is uh, underwriting many of these loans. But the third player is the university. And what's happening now is you have the, the student who takes out a massive amount of debt. You have the government that subsidizes and guarantees the loans for those students who now is going to give a $10,000 break to each of those kids and some are going to get $20,000. But the school doesn't have any skin in the game. But the university, the college was the one who let you into their university. They're the ones that said, I have a degree for you to get. And the theory would be that if I give you this degree, you're going to be able to go into the workforce and make enough money to pay the loans back that you took to go to our university. Well, if you go to their university and you get some garbage degree that you can't get a job with, or if you're a, if, if you're a, you know, a slug and you don't go out and get a job, why is that the taxpayer's fault? Why should the taxpayer be on the hook? Why isn't the college on the hook? What should happen is if a college let you in, a university let you in, and they took your money 
through loans from the federal government and you can't pay them back, the person who should then pay is not the taxpayer in America, but the university itself. If the universities were forced to to, to refund the money that they took from students that students can't then pay back, that's a university problem. In a university system across the country that have endowments of over $200 billion, which, by the way, we don't tax the revenue on those endowments, they're the ones who should pay. Um, if they lied to you about the degree and the income that you can make off that degree, that's their problem. Um, if they brought people in, allowed people, admitted people into their institution that, again, don't work or you know didn't do the requisite work to have the skill sets to get jobs, make money, and pay loans back, that's the university that should be paying. But when the universities have no skin in the game, all they have to do is let you in and let you get loans from the federal government. And if you can't pay it back, they don't care. They don't care about the cost to their students. Again, as evidenced, prices went up by 180% when inflation is removed from the numbers in 40 years. Costs are exploding. And they explode because government subsidizes and colleges and universities have no skin in the game if you can't pay it back. I guarantee you, if we make sure that colleges and universities have some, uh, some payment responsibility to actually pay back the federal government for their students who can't pay those loans, you'll see a, a, an absolute rejiggering, reshaking up of the way colleges admit people and the way that colleges and universities set up their fee structure uh, around getting a degree at their university. Again, money talks, responsibility talks, skin in the game talks, but the third party in this three-party system between the government, the student, and the school, the one party, the university, which is driving the prices, has no skin in the game. And no doubt Democrats are doing this because if you look at where university professors and administrators are at, these are, these are liberal, uh, for the most part, liberal Democrat donors. They believe in, in the philosophical ideals of um, of the left wing of the Democrat Party, just look at what's being taught in the university systems. The indoctrination that's happening in the university systems around America, it's garbage. Um, and they are, though, aligned in, in brainwashing this generation of college student to get out and be a Democrat activist and be a Democrat voter. Um, and what kind of payment do they get? for indoctrinating new students into the Democrat Party, into the liberal ideology, they get a payoff by the Democrat Party. This is a payoff to the universities that won't drive prices down, will only drive prices up for the next generation of borrower. Um, and not only that, this indoctrination is shortchanging our kids, our young people of stellar educations. Because you know Minnesota doesn't compete with Michigan or Wisconsin doesn't compete with Wyoming. In America, this is a global marketplace. Our students are forced to compete with students from China and India. Um, in Vietnam, it's people from around the world that aren't indoctrinating their kids with these ideas. They're actually teaching them math and science and English, making them think, making them work, and producing graduates that can actually perform in the workplace as opposed to America, which produces you know young people oftentimes that 
know how to be an activist, know how to protest, you know, can talk about, you know, every social justice issue out there, but can't tell you how the U.S. government works, can't tell you about our founders and the ideas and the concepts behind the American founding, the ideas that, that the men and women, or men in support of women, who put our Constitution together, what they believed and why they believed it. Um, they can't talk to you about that, um, and they don't respect it. And therefore, they go to universities, and they're taught, well, uh, maybe we need to remake this whole thing. Maybe our founders were just racist. Maybe we've got to tear down every institution and rebuild it in the you know, Marxist, authoritarian vision that I was taught in my university. Um, it is a sad state of affairs. Democrats have completely got this wrong, making taxpayers who have paid their debts off for their college. I was one of them. It was hard. I had a lot of kids and I had, you know, I had a, what I thought was a big number to pay, but I paid it and I paid it off. There's a lot of Americans like that. There's a lot of Americans who went to a trade school and didn't take out loans um, and are paying their taxes. All of those people are coming together to pay for someone to get an advanced degree at an elite institution that's going to allow them to make more money through the course of their lifetime than the person who didn't go and didn't take out those loans doesn't make any sense. There's a fairness and equity concept here uh, that comes into play that Joe Biden and Democrats just don't get. But they do understand raw politics. And there's a, there's a gratitude and a thankfulness for these universities for indoctrinating our kids as little activists in the Democrat Party. That's my take on what's happening on this student loan bailout boondoggle. This is Sean Duffy at Fox Across America. And for Jimmy Fallon, we'll be right back. The show that loves you like a sibling. We'll always be brothers. It's Fox Across America with brother Jimmy Fallon. Hey everyone, welcome back to Fox Across America. I am Sean Duffy in for the great Jimmy Fela. Rocking out another 35 minutes in the Jimmy seat uh, before he uh, before he's back next week. I want to go to the phone lines. Let's go to Wendy from Tyler, Texas, uh, who wants to talk about the student loan forgiveness. Let's get her take. Wendy, good to see you. Or hear Sean, you, I should it, say. Is, it is an absolute honor to be speaking to you, and this is just the God's hand allowing me to give my message because nobody is listening. You are absolutely correct that the loan system needs to be rearranged. I originally borrowed $32,000 or $35,000 to attend the University of Phoenix online to get a master's degree in health administration. University of Phoenix at that time was great, you know, come get these loans, come get these master's degrees, you'll be great. The hospital system that I was working for let 150 middle managers go, including myself, when Obamacare hit. Originally, Mm. when I borrowed the money, I borrowed it from a bank. Then Obama took over and gave it to Freddie and Sally May. I am now being charged and have been charged a daily interest rate on the amount of money that I owe. So the original amount of money that I borrowed, 32000 is now 92000 or probably 95000 now. I have been wow. out of work for six years because I am overqualified. I got a master's degree. 
I am now starting a job at a local box store, going to make $13 an hour, maybe working 30 hours a week. How am I going to pay $92,000 back? I want the original loan taken back down to what I originally borrowed. Then charge me 10 or 15%. I don't care. I got lousy credit. Charge me 20%. Flat rate interest rate. Then give me a booklet so I can pay it off like a car payment. And then I can pay my loan back. But even if I paid $1,000 a month right now, I'd never pay that loan off because of the daily interest that I'm being charged. Because it was taken over by the government. It wasn't like that originally. Yeah, you bring up a good point. And so there there are people who fall on hard times, like you. Obamacare comes in, you get a good-paying job, you lose it. Um, and I, this is a fascinating point because the system in place, if you're having trouble paying, again, and I get that, um, everyone's going through hard times, um, or they have someone in their life who's gone through hard times. I'm with, I'm with you. I've, I've done the same thing financially. And to say that we're going to pile on the debt the fees and and the extra interest um, and put people in a situation where, to your point, tripling the amount that you owe, um, there should be some there should be some grace uh, in how we handle people. Again, you might still accumulate interest, but the fees and the penalties that come along with it that then make this unaffordable. Um, that is something that the government could look at and go. When you fall in hard times, yes, there is there is uh, deferment, there is forbearance. But when you look at the fees and the interest, um, again, outrageous that it would go to $95,000. And, uh, Wendy, because the government now doesn't own your loan, or do they still owe it, uh, uh, own it now? Uh, it is under because the company that I had originally got in trouble, so it got shifted to somebody else. It's another company. But it is under Freddie and Sally May. So it is a federal loan. Um it's just, it, there's just no way of paying it back. So if you're a, you're a guy or a lawyer that's borrowed $100,000 to go to college and you graduate and it's my understanding the suicide rate among new attorneys is very high. They owe an enormous amount of money on these college loans because they go to these high-end schools thinking that the high-end schools are the ones that are going to get them the high-paying jobs when that's not necessarily true. And now with the daily interest, they can't afford to pay that loan back. Wendy, there are problems, and there are problems in the school structure, the financial structure, the incentive structure around student debt. Uh, I know it must be hard. Good luck with those, uh, those loans and paying them back. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Fox Across America. I, I am showing Duffy in for the great Jimmy Fela. 25 minutes left in the show. Um, loving this. Uh, I want to talk about inflation, um, which is affecting so many different families. And many of us may feel like things are getting better because gas prices were above $5 a gallon. We were getting crushed at the pump. And now they've fallen to uh, below $4 a gallon. 
still really expensive, still way more than the price of gas when Joe Biden took office. But because there's a little uh, a little reprieve from the high prices, people feel like it's not so bad, even though it is really bad. But that doesn't mean we're not still feeling the pinch at the grocery store or for used cars or new cars. The everyday things of life that we pay for uh, have gone up in price. To talk about this more, I want to bring in uh, one of my good friends, uh, one of my former colleagues on the Financial Service Committee, Andy Barr, uh, from the great state of Kentucky. Is, is Andy on the line? Oh, Andy's not here right now, but Andy um, uh, serves on financial services. And so some of you may not realize the different committee structures, but financial services is a committee that deals with uh, banking, the OCC, the FDIC, uh, the the SEC. Um, we deal with um, Treasury and the Federal Reserve, the inner workings of how an economy functions, um, how capital flows happens on this committee. Maxine Waters is the chair today of that committee, uh, which may speak volumes about some of the problems that we have. But Andy serves in that committee and uh, is one of the thought leaders uh, and is on the leadership team. Uh, Andy Barr, now I think you're with us. Welcome to the program. Hey, Sean, great to be with you. Great to be with you as well. We're, so, we're talking about inflation as you were getting on the call. And uh, my point was, it, it, I, I, I know better but I feel like when I go to the gas pump, I'm paying a high, you know, I'm paying 380 a gallon, and I feel a little better, Andy. I'm like, oh, it's not quite as bad because I was shocked when I was paying $5.25 a gallon. So it's bad, but because it's gotten better, I feel better. But should I, Andy? No, you shouldn't, Sean. I mean, of course, my constituents don't feel better. Um, two reasons. Number one, it's still double. The price at the pump for a gallon of regular unleaded gas is still approximately twice as much as it was on the day Joe Biden took office. And if you talk to farmers in rural America, and I know, Sean, you represented rural Wisconsin. I represent a a wide swath of rural Kentucky. Farmers uh, depend on diesel fuel, and there has not been any easing in the inflation in diesel fuel. So, uh, whether it's transportation costs or the, the, the tractors or the production of food, the reason why inflation is still hitting grocery prices so much is because the cost of transportation is super high with diesel and uh, agricultural production. The inputs into agriculture are still very, very high. So uh, not a lot of relief when uh, Joe Biden and his um, – uh, officials in his administration say, oh, gas prices have have eased. Well, not compared to where gas prices were when we were energy dominant under the policies of the previous administration. And if you if you think about it, when you talk about energy, energy is at the center of this inflation crisis. Of course, overspending is as well. But we went in one and a half years time from energy dominant to energy desperate. And, and, and why, why is it that we are experiencing inflation at a 40-year high? Why are, why are American households experiencing a decline in purchasing power of over $5,000 a year, meaning they're spending over $5,000 more for the same goods and services that they were purchasing under the previous administration? The reason is because it's a classic supply-demand mismatch. That's what causes rising prices. When you have excess demand created by overspending – 
uh, combined with constrained supply, meaning uh, the Biden administration has waged a war on domestic energy production, constraining the supply of energy. Also, by the way, constraining the supply of labor by paying people to not work. You've got the classic supply-demand mismatch that pushes prices up to historic highs. That's why we have this inflation crisis, bad fiscal policy. Well, when you talk about supply and demand, Andy, and the driver of, uh, the drivers of inflation, you're exactly right. And so what's happening now is you have the Federal Reserve, that's the, Fed, the Treasury and the Fed, not the Treasury, the Fed's raising rates right now. And what they're doing is trying to tamp down demand. It's demand destruction, as opposed to saying we need to increase supply. We need to get more people back to work, people off assistance in the federal government, get back into the workforce, maybe reduce taxes, streamline regulations so we can increase supply and not have to destroy demand. And the reason that Joe Biden has gas prices coming down isn't because there's more supply. It's because that the traders of oil and gas believe that we have a recession on the horizon, Andy. Well, that's right. We've had two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. That's the classic uh, generally accepted definition of a recession, no matter what the White House says in terms of trying to redefine that phrase. But but you make an excellent observation about uh, Fed policy. Uh, the, the Fed would not have to be precipitously raising interest rates or pulling back uh, through quantitative tightening as quickly as they are if, if they had gradually tightened monetary policy back when the Democrats were – uh, on this spending binge, spending spree. But because they were behind the curve, they've now tightened very, very fast. And I think their tightening project is far from over. They are destroying demand as a way of, of uh, eliminating um, uh, uh, inflation. inflation. That's, their, their stra- that's their strategy. But um, a re- really good point that this is, this is not just excess demand. It's a, it's a matter of inadequate supply. Uh, and uh, uh, it, until we get to producing energy again in this country, um, you know, think about it. Fuels go into everything. And I was talking to um, the, um, the uh, energy supplier for the rural electric cooperatives here in Kentucky the other day, and fuel prices are very, very high because they're not producing enough energy. And also, export demand is, is, is strong. But at the end of the day, how do you fix that? You fix that through more energy production. And uh, the Biden administration is doing everything wrong. Yes, the Fed uh, uh, made some policy mistakes themselves by not uh, tightening gradually, slowly, and early enough. Um, but the Biden administration is making matters worse uh, through its a war on energy. And by the way, Sean, the war on energy from the Biden administration is not just killing Keystone XL or holding up 4,400 permits or frustrating new refineries coming online. The ground zero in all of this, as you well know, is the weaponization of financial regulation to uh, frustrate financing and redirect capital away from uh, energy and and energy exploration and production is a very capital intensive enterprise, and so you've got to have financing. When banks and the capital markets um, uh, do not allow capital to flow to energy companies, that shuts down energy production, 
And uh, that's a big part of this story. Well, it's a good point. So when you look at uh, big ventures in oil and gas, uh, there are oftentimes multiple billions of dollars of investment, and those investments may not pay off for a decade or two decades. So it's, it's, a, it's a huge investment. And if, if you don't have banks, big banks that are willing to help with those investments, to lend the money, these projects don't get uh, off the ground floor. And when you have a, a woke culture in banking that says, "Listen, we're we're green. We don't. We, 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 I don't know where the, the 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 jet fuel for my private jet comes from. Or I don't know how we got electricity uh, that actually fuels my Tesla. Uh, but we have to shut down exploration, um, and they don't fund it. And to to that point, Andy, and I think it's a huge problem that we're seeing more and more of on a uh, on a monthly basis." Is there anything that the Congress can do when you look at the politics of lending, right? These are these are government regulated um, entities. Is there anything the government can do or should do in regard to the woke politics and woke decisions that banks in America make? Well, when Republicans take back the House and when we have the gavels, we're going to be doing searching oversight over um private sector actors which have fallen to the woke the, the woke thinking that um, it's their job to implement environmental policy um, and also um, uh, prioritize uh, environmental social and governance issues political agendas above and ahead of investor returns I can tell you Sean over the next and all you have to do is turn on Fox business to learn this you know over the next two quarters you're gonna see, um, a, a rally in energy stocks because, again, prices are going up in energy because of constrained supply and huge demand for energy. Um, and uh, the, the rest of the economy is probably not going to do so well. But to rebalance prices, you're going to need to produce more energy. Uh, and, um, again, I think investors who are invested in these ESG funds – uh, mainly driven by woke uh, asset managers on Wall Street, they're going to get clobbered because they're light. Their portfolios are light on energy. Uh, frankly, if you're an investor in America today, uh, you need to be uh, pursuing a totally anti-ESG strategy, in my opinion. Um, obviously, your listeners should consult with their own investment advisors and stockbrokers for what's right for them. But I believe that this uh, stock market situation is going to be uh, fits and starts for several months. And if you're not invested in American energy, you're going to be missing out. Um, but we need more capital. We, we need more investment in energy, not less, in order to beat back inflation. So you look at the biggest banks, they're publicly traded. And they're about bringing returns for their owners, for their investors, or they should be. Um, and so when you look at lending, they normally historically have looked at the credit risk, the risk of the project, someone's ability to repay or a company's ability to repay. But to your point, you could have a great project that's presented to a Wall Street bank that's publicly traded that many of our listeners may own. And they say, we can make a ton of money on this deal, but it's an oil and gas deal. Or we can make a ton of money on this investment in a gun company or an ammo manufacturer, but they choose not to do it because of politics as opposed to the kind of money that they can make 
for their investors. And not only are they making money for their investors or choosing not to make money for their investors, they're actually doing a disservice to America as a whole because they're driving up the cost of, uh, to your point, energy for everyday Americans, for farmers, whether it's in regard to fertilizer or diesel in their tractors. And it's making life unaffordable in this country. And it comes from this elite philosophy that uh, these bankers, these politicians know best what's best for us, as opposed to letting the free market actually work and let people decide for themselves. That's right. And it's ESG and the politicization of banking in this country uh, is very distortionary to to the natural flow of capital. I'll give you an example that underscores your point, Sean. I was talking to a a CEO of a major U.S. energy company just recently, and his his banker, Wall Street Bank, and I won't identify the parties here, but a big Wall Street bank basically said, uh, uh, you need to transition to green energy. You need to get out of fossil energy uh, within the next five years, or we're not going to re-up your loan. We're not going to uh, extend or uh, refinance or, or, or issue a new line of credit for you all. And what the CEO said is, I said, I guarantee you that my company with zero debt and with uh, one, of, uh, one of the strongest balance sheets that this bank has, uh, that I am a better credit than, than the vast majority of the borrowers of that institution. And that's the point. The point is that these decisions are not made based on traditional banking decisions, based on um, credit underwriting whether it's a good credit, whether or not it will return capital to shareholders. These decisions are being made based on politics. And who ultimately suffers? Number one, the shareholders, the investors of these banks, because they're going to get a lower return on the capital that they deploy uh, because they're not investing in credit-worthy energy producers. And secondly, this has a terrible impact on inflation for average everyday Americans because energy prices are going to go up because banks are depriving these energy companies of the capital they need to keep energy flowing affordably and reliably to the American people. Frankly, if you think about it, it's very anti-unpatriotic uh, to divest from American energy companies that return capital to shareholders, number one, retail investors, and number two, provide the most affordable, reliable energy for the American people. Uh, this directly compromises our competitiveness. You know, Andy, I, this is my philosophy on this. Um, I know Joe Biden wants to keep these these uh, oil and gas resources in the ground. All he's doing is preserving it, protecting it, almost just keeping it in trust for when the Chinese take us over so they can come and get our oil and gas. When America falls, when America fails because of this transition to green energy and we're taken over by some foreign entity, they will come and get our oil. We're just preserving it for for the Chinas of the world, so they can come and get it when, when their time comes. And it's shameful. It makes America wealthier. It makes us stronger. It drives down the cost of our production to sell our goods worldwide. And Joe Biden doesn't get it. But you, Andy Barr, you do get it. Thanks for coming on today and talking about uh, ESG, environmental, government, social, what's happening in banking and what's driving inflation. I am always grateful. You're a good friend and a great member of Congress. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. All right. That's Andy Barr, uh, Congressman from Kentucky. We'll be right back with Fox Across America. 
This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. He is one of those iconic figures that fans care about. Welcome back to Fox Across America. I am Sean Duffy again, filling in for Jesse, or Jesse, Jimmy Fela. Not Jesse Waters, Jimmy the Great Fela. Um, I am about to jump in my car and head from Wisconsin to New Jersey. I have to go through Chicago. And uh, anytime you go through Chicago, you got to pick the right time. Otherwise, you get stuck in traffic. So if I leave now, I'm hoping to get through, you know, 7, 8, 9 o'clock tonight through Chicago before I pull over with the kids and, and sleep for the night. So uh, hopefully Chicago traffic, if, if you guys have any control out there, keep it down. Um, and also, if you're looking for a great podcast, my wife Rachel and I have our podcast. It's called From the Kitchen Table. We're on twice a week. Uh, you can find us wherever you get your uh, podcast. But we sit down from our kitchen table and a cup of coffee and talk about the issues that we discuss every single day and share them with you on politics and culture, uh, what's happening uh, in America. So uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed giving Jimmy the day off. If, uh, again, you have any recommendations for books on tape for kids, we'd love to have them. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter. My Twitter handle is uh, Sean Duffy, S-E-A-N-D-U-F-F-Y-W-I, standing for Wisconsin. Uh, It's been a pleasure uh, driving the train here uh, at Fox Across America. Until next time, um, have a great one. Have a great weekend. Love those kids. Bye-bye. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.